0: In Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, from Mount Or they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And then we go to John chapter 3. And Jesus will explain this story to us, beginning in verse 14. John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The Apostle John is writing us these words. Recording these words, recording this conversation between our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and Nicodemus to show us who Jesus is and what he did for us. For the Apostle John, as we have talked over the past several weeks, this is personal. He knew the real Jesus Christ. He knew who Jesus really is, who Jesus really was, and he witnessed firsthand what Jesus really did. And by the time John was an old man everybody's coming up with a different story, they're coming up with different ideas, they're coming up with different theories, and they're presenting things in different ways, and different religions are starting to take off that are calling themselves Christianity. And John says, wait a minute, that's not how it went down. And so John is telling us exactly what happened from a firsthand eyewitness perspective in such a way, not so much to record what Jesus did, but to tell us what it meant so we'd know who he is and so that we would believe. There was no room for theological debate with John because he knew Jesus personally and he personally witnessed the ministry of Jesus and saw the gospel completed. And in writing and recording the gospel, John demonstrates both the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus, the compassion of Christ and the grace of Christ. In this passage, John records this discussion Jesus had with Nicodemus. In this discussion, Jesus plainly outlines his mission and his plan. His mission was to save sinners, to save us from condemnation, to save us from judgment, to save us from death. And his plan was to save sinners by paying for their sins on the cross, reconciling us to God So that we could have eternal life in his presence, in his kingdom. Here, Jesus is sharing that mission and that plan with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. The Pharisees did not like Jesus. The Pharisees openly opposed Jesus. But here you have Nicodemus who is seeking the truth. Jesus, knowing the hearts of people, saw that Nicodemus was seeking the truth. And Jesus gave Nicodemus the truth. Jesus gave a Pharisee the truth. Jesus told the Pharisee Nicodemus what it was all about. Do you know what that tells us? That tells us that the gospel transcends our tribes. Transcends which team we're on. That when someone from the other side is seeking truth, it is Christ-like. To share the truth with the other side. And notice what Jesus is doing here. He is going straight to the truth. He's not telling Nicodemus what's wrong with being a Pharisee. What the Pharisees are doing wrong. How the Sanhedrin is messed up. He goes straight to the truth of the gospel. And in this passage, in this discussion that Jesus has with Nicodemus. He tells us why the gospel is needed. Why do we need the gospel? Why did it have to happen that way? He tells us why. Secondly, we see why the Lord carried out the gospel. What was his motivation? And then we see why belief accesses salvation in the gospel. Why was the gospel needed? In verses 14 through 15, Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We read that account from Numbers chapter 21 this morning. How they were going through the wilderness. And Jessica, during Sunday school, discussed how they lost faith and became anxious and became rebellious while Moses was up on Mount Sinai and what that led to. And here they're going through the wilderness, and they've got the manna. God's feeding them, but they didn't like that food. There's a joke going around on Facebook. Facebook where God looks at the angel Gabriel and says what are the people doing now and Gabriel says they're making milk out of almonds and God says milk out of almonds I gave them seven animals that they could get milk from and Gabriel says they don't like that food and God says I guess they don't like that food All right. we have a tendency I'm not saying that you have to drink animal milk I never understood almond milk but it's not a sin to drink almond milk but don't we have a tendency to be dissatisfied with what God has given us God's giving them manna. I know it wasn't fancy. I know it wasn't good. I like McDonald's. Okay, I probably wouldn't have been happy with this scenario either. But God is giving them food. He is caring for them. He is leading them through the wilderness. But what happens in Numbers chapter 21? They begin to murmur. And then and they're complaining. And they are they are upset. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why did you bring us out of slavery? Why did you deliver us from that old land? Why we had flesh plots? Why why are we having to we don't have any food. And they see all the manna around them. But we don't like this food. <laughs> we want different food. And they're, and they're upset and they're angry at Moses and they're angry at God for bringing them out of Egypt, for providing the manna, for not providing what they want, when they want, how they want. And what you have here is they're, it's not, they're not just wiping the sweat from their brow and saying, oh, it sure is hot today. They're actually angry at God for the temperature. You got to be careful. We have bad weather here. It gets to be like 180 degrees during the summer and negative 620 during the winter, okay? We will go three years without rain and then we will get 80 inches in one day and have to ride a canoe to work. It's important that as we endure, I don't know I'm exaggerating, it's important that as we endure these extreme weather patterns, it's, you know, it's okay, whoo, sure it's hot today. Man, we've gotten a lot of rain today. We're waiting to say that again. Um, When we're going through all this That we don't complain in such a way That we're complaining about what God's doing Got to be careful about that But these people are complaining And they're rebelling And they're actually angry at God They are in full-blown rebellion And full-blown rebellion Is the definition of what sin is And so God sends the fiery serpents Uh, These are poisonous serpents These are poisonous snakes Gives them a good round of rattlesnakes, a couple of copperheads, and and maybe a, a few cobras. Gotta go to the snake room at the at the zoo and look at and the cobras are always hiding. Chickens, um, and they never put on a show for you. But anyway, and, there, and and so people are being bitten, people are dying. Moses prays to the Lord. And the Lord tells Moses to make a serpent out of bronze, put it on the pole, put it up in the middle of the camp. And whoever's bitten can look at that serpent and can live. Why was the serpent necessary? Because the people were dying. Why were the people dying? Because they had sinned against God. Why does sin bring death? Have you ever wondered that? Why does sin sin bring death? What is it about sin that makes that gives us death, not only physical death, but spiritual death? I mean, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, "Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned." Romans 6:23, "For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord." What is it about sin that brings death? And and the reason we don't understand this idea is because we don't understand what sin is. For us, sin is doing something that's fun, that's forbidden. And that just doesn't seem fair some days. But sin is not doing something fun that's forbidden. Sin is rebelling against your creator. Sin is rebelling against the one who gave you life. God is the source of life. He gives it. He sustains it. Sin rebels against God and cuts you off from God. Therefore, being cut off from God, you are cut off from your source of life. If you cut yourself off from the source of life, it only logically makes sense that you will die. You cut yourself the power line from the building to the power pole, the lights are going to go out. The lights give us light. They illuminate the room because they are connected to the source of the power. You disconnect them from the source of the power, the lights will go out. You disconnect yourself from the source of life, you will die. That's why sin brings death. And like the serpent was lifted up, Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross where he endured the wrath of God in our place so that we could be spared the punishment and condemnation that comes with sin. So that we could be spared the death that will inevitably follow because we sinned against God. As the people were called to look upon the serpent to be healed, we are called to look upon Jesus for salvation. Verse 15, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In the Old Testament, that if a man looks upon that serpent, he will live. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. We need only look to the Lord. Why is this necessary? Why is this a requirement? What is the point of this? The point of this is that we are all sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. We have all rebelled against God. We all have darkness in our hearts. None of us are innocent. None of us are in a place that we can look upon someone else and say they are worse off than we are. We are all guilty. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, That all will stand guilty before God. We are all sinners. We have all sinned against God. We have all followed our own direction. We have all determined what we want life to be. How we want life to be. Life on our terms. And when God does not deliver that we get angry with him. We all have this sin that we have dealt with in our lives. Some of us may be dealing with this life today. Now this does not mean that we can thumb our noses and say, "Well, I'm, you know, no, everyone's a sinner, nobody's perfect. Therefore, I can't be judged." That a lot of people are taking this verse that way. You know, all you know, all have sinned. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. You can't judge me because you got sin too. That's not what God is trying to teach us to do here. What He's trying to do is teach us to repent, to teach us of our need for salvation, of our need for deliverance. So. We may be in sin. You may be in sin. The person next to you may be in sin. But the point of learning about us all being sinners is not so we can say, well, nobody can judge us because somebody can judge us. That's God. Only God can judge me. That ought to be a sobering thought. We need repentance. Romans 3, 9 through 11. What then? Are we better than they? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands, and there is none that seeks after God. We are in no position to look down on others. We are in no position to hate others. We are in no position to be angry at others. We are sinners, and we need forgiveness. Mm -hmm. We need redemption we need to be restored and that is why the gospel is needed it is so easy to get angry at someone else's sin and then to convince ourselves that we're not that bad off but we are that bad off that's why the gospel is needed you go through the fast food drive through line and they don't get your order right, and you know it's because they're goofing off. They're not taking their job seriously. They're, they're just putting in their hours so that they can go get high after, where you just know that whoever put that order together and they messed up your order, they are just, they, they're just not taking life seriously. How dare they just slack off like that? You mess up at work, it's because you're overwhelmed. Right? It's amazing how angry we get at the sin of others. To look at the drug addict and say, how dare you? But then to go home and self-medicate in our own ways as well. The gospel was needed because we all sin against God. And to redeem us from the death, to reconnect us to the source of life, to reconnect us to the power source to, so that our bulbs will illuminate. The gospel had to take place. Jesus Christ went to the cross. And what was the motivation behind that? Why would the Lord do such a thing? We look in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Look at that. God so loved. Christ was motivated by love. So loved. This is that agape love. This is that Self-sacrificial love. This is the love that looks to the betterment of the other person and not what makes me happy. That's why love is so messed up in today's culture. We look to love to make ourselves happy. I need someone to complete me. I need someone to fulfill me. I need someone to validate me. This is what I look for in a wife. This is what I want my wife to be like. This is what I want my wife to do. This is what I look for in a man. This is what I want my man to be like. This is what I want my man to do. And it's good to have standards. You don't want to be in an abusive, toxic relationship. But when you are looking to the other person to fulfill the emptiness and the brokenness in your life, you are setting yourself up for disappointment and you are putting an unfair burden on them. That's a toxic situation. That's that's not agape love. That is a different form of love. Agape love is I am here to better my husband or my wife, to fulfill their needs, to help them heal. And that's the love that Jesus brings to the table, that self-sacrificial love that wants to better the others because this agape love has within it a redemptive quality that the agape love approaches the situation in a way that redeems the other, that reconciles the other to himself, that brings about that unity and that healing, that's agape love and that's the love that the Father has for us. That's the love that the Lord has for us. This love was so powerful that it motivated Jesus to live as a man, to suffer as we do, to deal with the headaches that we have before giving his life on the cross, suffering God's wrath for us. That's how much he loves us. You ever say, you know, if I could, you ever see your loved one in the hospital bed, and you say, if I could take their place, I would take their place. You ever say that, or you ever think that? That's exactly what Jesus did for us. Yes. He took our place. He went through the pain that we went through, and he went to the cross, and he endured God's wrath on our behalf. And that's the that was the point. That was why, that was why he went, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Uh Christ went to the cross to save us from hell. Christ went to the cross to save us from eternal damnation. This was the point. This was the mission. This was what Jesus came to do. Jesus came into this world for the sole purpose of going to the cross to take our place, to take the wrath of God upon himself so that we could be spared. That's why he came. That's why he was born of a virgin. That's why he spoke to the doctors of the law in the temple when he was 13 years old. He's trying to let them in on the secret. He's trying to bring them up to speed of what their scriptures actually say. That's why Jesus lived the sinful life. That's why he discipled his apostles. That's why he healed. That's why he preached. That's why he built that ministry. Was to build it all up so that people would know the gospel. And then he would go and he would perform the gospel by taking our place on that cross. Mm -hmm. He did not come to condemn us. He calls us to repentance. Jesus said in John 12, 27, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause, for this reason, for this mission, I came unto this hour. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He wasn't trying to back out of it the way I tried to back out of going on a roller coaster when I was eight years old and I got up to the front of the line of the shockwave with six flags. I'm like, this is too scary. I don't want to do this. I'm going to wait for you guys on this park bench. That's not what Jesus was doing in the garden. He was not praying that God would allow him to get out of the gospel, out of the cross. What Jesus was praying was he was praying a conversation with his heavenly father, in which it was being proven and demonstrated for our benefit that there was no other way to redeem us but by going through the cross. Our Lord did not chicken out. Mm -mm. He went to the cross. It was his mission. It was the point of him being here. He went to the cross to redeem us. And his motivation was that agape love. None of that does any good if we don't believe him if we don't trust him if we don't turn if we reject him Isaiah 53 says we have turned everyone to his own way every one of us has turned to his own way and if we see that cross and we turn away and go our own way and we reject the salvation and the Christ that's on that cross it does us no good we're still condemned Verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Those who believe are saved. That belief is a deep-rooted trust. It is a belief of the truth. It is an acceptance of what the Lord has done for us. And that faith accesses God's salvation. Romans chapter 5 says, therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Because of that faith, because of trusting the Lord, what he did on the cross, that we have been forgiven because Jesus paid it all on the cross, because we believe that, because we trust that, because we have accepted that, we have access to God's grace. We have access to his salvation. That salvation that he purchased on the cross applies to us. That payment for sin that he made on the cross, it applies to us. That's how we access it. I've got money in the bank. Does me no good if I can't access it. I can't go to McDonald's and say, I need it. I need McNuggets, and they say, it'll be $5, and i say, well, I got it in the bank, that does McDonald's no good. They're not going to give me the nuggets, unless it can be accessed. So I have to have some cash in my pocket, or I've got to whip out the card that will draw the $5 from the bank account and give it to McDonald's. I have to be able to access it. And the way we access salvation is not with a card, it's not with the cash in our pockets, but it is with the faith that we have in our hearts that the Lord has redeemed us based on what he did on the cross for us. Those who do not believe are already condemned. Condemnation is your default setting. If you have a computer, you have a phone, you have default settings, a default wallpaper, a default printer icon, a default word processor. Everything. If you don't do anything to the computer, this is what you have. And you can change these settings. You can change your wallpaper. You can change your app that you use to read PDFs, but you have a default. Your default setting as a human being is condemned. You have to change the default setting. If you do not believe the default is condemnation, you're going to die. You don't do something to be condemned. You already are. The only escape from that condemnation is through salvation, through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And in verses 19 through 21, our Lord explains it to us. He said, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Men are condemned because they love darkness. They love wickedness. They love sin. They love darkness rather than the light. They don't want to come to the light. They want out of the light. They want to be in darkness. They want to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I remember when I worked at the truck stop Graveyard shift was the hardest one because with the darkness outside, people felt more emboldened to do the evil deeds that they had set out to do, and they did them in our parking lot. And we had to deal with people doing evil deeds in our parking lot. I remember listening to a radio show. This radio show featured two individuals who were fairly raunchy in their way of thinking and in their way of speaking. And a, a Baptist preacher called in to try to witness to them on the air. I'm sure they wanted to make a bid out of it. And so he's telling them, he's giving them the plan of salvation. But they were telling him, but we love the drugs. We love the wildness. We love the debauchery. They were openly saying this on the radio. Men love darkness rather than light. A total rejection of the light. And they avoid the light because they do not want their wickedness exposed their deeds exposed, and they do not want to be corrected. People don't want a Jesus that redeems them and transforms them. People want a Jesus that will tell them that they are just fine how they are and that they can continue in their sin fully loved and fully validated and going to heaven. But we know that that Jesus does not exist. Jesus calls us to repentance. He calls us to faith, and he transforms us. But people don't want that. So they reject the Jesus who transforms in favor of the made-up Jesus, the idol who will tell them that they are perfect the way they are. Men love darkness rather than light. But those who believe come to the light. Light has a certain cleansing aspect to it. You know you can disinfect a mattress with UV light. I saw this on Shark Tank one night. They run these mattresses through this little laser light thing, and it cleanses the mattress. And four of the five, have y'all ever seen that show? Four of the five sharks said they weren't going to invest in it because they didn't think he needed their money. That he, you know, he's he's going to be just fine. Mark Cuban said he'd buy into it just because he thought it was cool, and he and he hired the guy on the spot to go do his mattresses. Um, you can purify things with light. We have a sewer treatment plant in the city of early we don't run it through 15 different pieces of machinery that throw about 80 different chemicals into the water we remove the we remove a lot of the waste from the water there is some purification to it but we put the water out into these ponds where the sunlight purifies it just enough that we can water the hay field with it and grow some hay Light has this purifying aspect to it. Those who believe come to the light for cleansing and to show that what they do, those works are wrought in God, that the work that God has done in their lives. You see, what we do here, what we do here, what we believe here, what drives us here, is the fact that we all come together fully cognizant of our sin, our, our past rebellion against God and what God has redeemed us from, fully cognizant of the fact that our sins have sent Jesus Christ to the cross. And on that cross, he took God's condemnation and his wrath and his punishment upon himself so that we could walk free of that condemnation and that we could be redeemed into an eternal life in his kingdom in which we don't have those anxieties that we have in this life. We don't have the struggles and the heartaches and the pains that we have in this life. We know that. We know that the gospel was necessary because without it, we are cut off from our source of life and we die. We know the gospel is necessary because sin elicits a response of judgment and condemnation. That response has to happen. We come here because we know that our Lord suffered for us in the greatest and worst ways that we can possibly imagine. Yet he went to that cross anyway, and we come here to express our love to him. And we leave here each week, hopefully, with the purpose and heart to live our lives in light of those facts. To spread that gospel and that love to others so that others may come to know him as savior. This past Wednesday, we set a really cool trap. We baited folks in with free snow cones and hot dogs and a magic show. And I I, I know that they suspected that they were gonna get some scripture because that's what happens when you go to a church. Hopefully that's what they were suspecting. They wound up getting the gospel. It was a chaotic gospel with popping balloons and with occasional piano playing and with some pretty amazing magic, excuse me, gospel illusions. We can't, we can't say magic. But what happened? Through all that, God was able to work. And God showed one young man that he needed the Lord. And that man expressed that he repented of his sins and he trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And we're following up with that family. That's why we do what we do. That's why this church exists. That's our mission. That's our purpose. This requires sacrifice. Agape love is sacrificial love. This requires sacrifice. Inflation is wiping out our income. It's wiping out the money that we have to buy groceries, to pay light bills, Some of us are dealing with employment issues. Some of us haven't been able to work for a while. Some of us are working too much and still finding themselves to be broke when it comes to financially. Times of plenty and times of famine. They come and they go. It's cyclical. It cycles. But when we are going through these times of famine, we have to make decisions. We have to set priorities. And I'm going to tell you that the priorities that matter The ones of eternal importance are the ones that get the gospel in front of people that lead people to salvation. So when we pull the financial statements, you're going to see that the bank balance is going in the wrong direction if you're an accountant. Accountants don't like to see that. When you look at your personal finances, you may see that that bank balance is going in the wrong direction. That does not excuse what God has called us to do. We're going to have to make some tough choices. I'm going to have to decide at some point, if nothing changes, I'm going to have to decide at some point how I'm going to continue to pastor this church with no salary being attached to it. We may have to someday pass the plate to pay the light bill. We may have to one day pass the plate so we can afford to buy hot dogs to bait everybody out here again so we can tell them the gospel again so that somebody else may be saved but we're going to need a purpose in our hearts that we're going to do that because the easy thing to do is what so many churches in this country have done that once that bank balance hits zero put the hands up in the air and say well we did all we could do and walk away That's the easy thing to do. Jesus told a story in John chapter 10. He said the hireling fleeth because the flock is not his. When the hired shepherd, the man who's just there to draw a paycheck, when he's out there with the sheep and he sees the wolf coming, he's not going to get in the way of that wolf. He's going to run for his own life, leaving the flock behind because they don't belong to him. We're not hirelings here. We need to be more committed than that. So as we take these things from the gospel, from the word of God, we put them in our heart and we continually allow the gospel to transform us and we continue to teach ourselves the gospel, you will not only see the transformation in your own life, but you will find yourself enduring the storms stronger than those around you but at the same time, you will find yourself encouraging those around you to endure the storms, leading them to the truth of the gospel and to salvation. Amen. us stand.